welcome to another edition of the In Search SEO Podcast, where we paint the town red with search marketing insights. Well, this week we have one of my all-time favorites. He's not only a great marketer, he is a great person. He is the VP of Content Strategy over at Imclear. Mr. Mark Traphagen will join us to talk about how Google is shifting to becoming a discovery engine, which changes the entire content landscape. How does search as a journey impact your content creation? Developing a content strategy that aligns to Google's tendency to guide users to a greater extent. And why having a content mindset is more important than ever and how to prioritize your content efforts in this new world of Google. Plus, we pick apart the latest Google algorithm update, the unconfirmed July 2019 update, which as you shall see, was quite weird. I am your host, Morty Oberstein, and I am joined by the always energetic, the young, the vivacious, <laughs> Sapir Carabello. Wow, Morty, listen, I'm not even joking when I say that every week I look forward to your introduction. You're just never disappointed. It's like you're sitting there. <laughs> Podcast day is approaching. Of course. Oh, I can't wait to see what he's going to say next. Uh, that's what I, you yeah, have oh. no life. Tell me about it. I know you're you're flattering me, and I'd be like, <laughs> "Thank you, I really appreciate that." You should be but flattered. My first thought is, "You know, you really, really." <laughs> let's let's, let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about this. What is a typical <laughs> evening at Sir Peter's house like? Cause oh it, no, you don't want to uh, know. <laughs> yeah, we have a certain <laughs> podcast all about that. I it's would okay, love to know. Are you kidding me? Let's let's move on. <laughs> All right. If you say so. All right, folks, do not forget we put out a new episode of the In Search SEO podcast each and every Tuesday. You can find it on the Rank Ranger blog. You can find it on Stitcher. You can find it on Spotify. You can find it on SoundCloud. And, of course, you can subscribe on iTunes. Those S's kill me every week. Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, so many S's. Why do you have to create a, a hosting service that starts with S? Listen, I just I would just like to point out mm -hmm. that my name also starts with an S. Your Coincidence? Co oh, maybe you're a hosting mm -hmm. platform. <laughs> oh, that doesn't sound good. That but maybe all great things... It depends things, how you take it. Listen, all great things start, start with an S. That's, that's my conclusion. Not, not Morty. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and since we're talking about SEO and content, don't forget that when you want to know where your content strategy has room for growth, you can use Rank Ranger's content gap analysis to find those voids and fill them. Yeah. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Got to plug away. Okay. We have a great show for you today. So happy and so excited to have had the chance to talk to Mark Traphagen. Stay tuned for that coming at you shortly because first i want to talk to you about one of the most volatile days in search history Ooh. the dark day of july 18th as we go data so july 18th was the day that rank went nuts it went crazy let's be dramatic about it yeah on the on one day without warning Rank shook on the SERP like a 1960s hula hoop dance off. What? <laughs> I switched. I went dramatic, then I went comedic. No, 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 work. no. A hula hoop dance off? Okay, you know, <laughs> you see like clips in movies like the 1960s or what, like a documentary of the 1960s, and all of a sudden everyone's at these dance offs and they're shaking their hula hoops, like, you know. But Morty, you no? have way too much free time on your hands. Evidently, not as much as you do. Listen, hula hoop dance <laughs> off. That's it's it's, it's it's just it's my that's pop a culture whole index new level, in my head. Okay, that's like I have a rolodex of pop culture information that is my brain. That's and it's, it's in there under listen, H for hula hoops. That's just weird. No, it's not. Not a fine. Either way, either way. Uh, let's talk about this update. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
on July 18th, our rank weather tool, the Rank Risk Index, saw a, a record uh, fluctuations of 113. So I didn't even know we went past 100 on the index. Mm-hmm. But evidently we, we do. And the index went up to 113, meaning the level of rank fluctuations was massive. Hmm. Core updates? Nope. Okay, so first off, Google promised they would confirm those, even name them, because we were naming them and initially all these weird and strange things like Florida 47. <laughs> like, oh, this one is called Florida 47. Does it relate to Florida 46? Well, no. No, it's just we're calling it Florida 47 because... <gasps> Um, it happened in Florida. Right. Right. We were in Florida. We were on vacation. We were drinking. Um, you were drinking, you know, um, uh, pina coladas on the beach. Oh, I love and, pina Yes, coladas. me too. And, and Google <laughs> updated its, you know, its algorithm. And then I called the pina colada update, but no one liked that one. So it called the Florida 47. So right. we're getting a little bit too random with these things. So Google mm-hmm. said, we will name these things. So Google didn't name it. Google didn't confirm anything. Um, they said nothing. So I don't think it's a core update. I don't think it's a core update anyway because the data was a bit bizarre mm-hmm. and was not indicative of a core update, which I will explain. But first, let's ask the obvious question, okay? So rank fluctuations went nuts. They were all over the place. Record highs, all sorts of things and whatnot. What drove rank fluctuations to such crazy heights? Obvious question that should be answered, right? Mm-hmm. So let's answer it, yeah? Yeah. Okay. So here's what happened. Let me start off with a bit of context. I'm um, just you need to understand okay, what a normal update sort of looks and sounds like, what well, looks like in terms of rank fluctuations. There is mm-hmm. no sound. Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, so for the book, okay, <laughs> let's take the June 2019 core update. So for that update, the YMYL niches, health and finance niches, saw larger levels of rank fluctuations than some of the other niches. Okay. So for example, let's if you look at the top 10 results on the page, right? If you looked at all the URLs for a keyword and you analyze their levels of rank fluctuations. So the health niche saw a, an increase of rank fluctuations of 84%, whereas the travel niche only saw increases of 24%. Mm. In other words, okay, there, let me explain that just a bit really, really quickly. So there's normal levels of rank fluctuations every day. So let's say you search for how to tie a tie one day, and you see 10 URLs on the page in, in any given order. And then the next day, you type in the same search, how to tie a tie. Because you can figure out the first time you can do it the second time, right? <laughs> right. So you and you're looking at the page. Hey, wait. Um, the the second result here that wasn't here yesterday. There was a different result here. Now that's number three. Okay, every single day, Google's moving sites URLs around on the page. That's normal. There's a normal level of rank fluctuations every single day. When you see an up, then we see increased volatility. What we mean to say is, how much more. Um, is rank volatile, right? Mm-hmm. Based on what we normally see, right? How how much has rank volatility increased? The normal fluctuations, okay, they're usually like 5%, 10%, right? Oh, now we're seeing 85%. You get it? Okay, so for, during the June 2019 core update, the health niche saw an increase of 84% in its rank fluctuations, all those health sites, and the travel niche, travel sites saw a 24% increase. Got it? Mm-hmm. No, basically, every industry was hit back in June, but the health and finance industry is more than, say, the travel industry. Exactamundo. Mm-hmm. Right? Perfect. Okay. I'm not going to say okay. I can say okay too many times. I'm, <laughs> I'm on it. I'm on the case. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, but this was not the case with the July 2019 unconfirmed update. It was a bit more complicated. Okay. So, again, we're trying to figure out what drove rank fluctuations so crazy, even more than a core update. Okay. So, let's, damn, I said okay again. Nuts. <laughs> Let's take a look at the first three results. 
Okay, you have the first three URLs on a page, okay, and those tend to fluctuate during a update. Okay, they fluctuate in general, very minimal fluctuations, right? If what's usually ranked number one one day is going to be ranked number one the second and third and fourth day you look at it. Mm -hmm. But there are changes here and there, okay? And, but the, they, they do see increases. Those even top positions do see increases during a Google algorithm update. And indeed, there was increased rank fluctuations at the top three positions on the SERP during the unconfirmed July 2019 core update. Mm -hmm. The only problem was is that we, it's what we normally see. So there's normal on any given day and there's normal for an update. Everything normal is relative. That's my mom always said. Lovely. Morty, you're normal, but it's relative. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The levels of rank fluctuations at the top of the SERP, meaning position number one, number two, number three, during the July update were typical of a normal Google update, meaning the crazy high insane levels of rank fluctuations could not have been driven by changes at the first, second, and third position on the SERP. In other words... We saw these crazy high levels of rank fluctuations going on on July 18th. So maybe um, Google really changed things up at the first position. Maybe what you saw for the keyword had a tie a tie before the update now changed after the update. And all these number one ranking positions all saw new URLs. And the second position, everything's new for every keyword in the whole planet being hyperbolic. Oh, wow. Okay, that's not what happened. Mm-hmm. Right. There's, there's, there was normal change. There was, yes, there were increases at the first, second, and third position on the SERP. But nothing crazy, nothing more crazy than what you see on any given algorithm update, which means that the normal, I'm sorry, the insane crazy highs that we saw on the 18th did not come from the changes Google made at the first, second, and third positions. Mm. Good? Good. Good. Okay. But as you move down the SERP, Ooh. let's move down the SERP. <laughs> Okay, meaning let's look at the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, I can keep going, ranking positions, I can count, nine, ten. Good to know. Yep. <laughs> ranking positions, things got hot and heavy. Morty. Sorry. Um, rank fluctuations picked up a bit. Is that more PG for you? Much better. Okay, right. Because we wouldn't want to sexualize SEO <laughs> in case any children are listening. Stay on target, Morty. Stay on target, Morty. Fine. Staying on target. Good. Staying on target. That's why you're here. Okay, help me focus. Hey, when I when I looked at the SERP overall, or rather page one, the top ten positions to be more specific, rank volatility was much higher during the July unofficial, unconfirmed core update than back in June during the official core update, which just goes to show you just because it's an official core algorithm update. Does it mean it's more impactful, bigger, or overall more of a shakeup than your unconfirmed updates? Just for the record. Okay. People need to realize that. Mm -hmm. No, like, oh, it's a core update. Yeah, there was an unconfirmed update that shook up rank just as much, but no one's talking about that one because Google didn't <laughs> confirm it or name it. Let's call it Florida 48. <laughs> so I already told you, right? The top positions, one, two, three, were not more volatile than usual. Thus, the crazy volatility increase has essentially come from positions 5 through 10. Okay, give me numbers. You want numbers? You can't handle the numbers. Morty. All work and no play. Morty. Here's Morty. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm totally out of Jack Nicholson quotes. Oh, that was terrible. You want numbers? Yes. Yes, numbers? <laughs> come on. 
You will learn by the numbers. I will teach you to quote Full Metal Jacket. Oh, you thought I had nothing I, left. Listen, I, I quit. Left. I quit. That's it. I'm done. That was perfect. <laughs> you will learn by the numbers. I will teach you. Happens to be a quote from Full Metal Jacket, and it's literally what I'm going to do. I'm going to show you the numbers to teach you. Someone please save me. So you have to save yourself. Save yourself. <laughs> you volunteer for this, by the way. <laughs> okay, so rem- remember when I said during the June update, the YMYL niche's health finance saw higher levels of rank fluctuations across the top 10 results. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I brought that up for a reason. I wasn't just right. like, there was a method to my madness okay, as usual. good to know. Yep. So, and, and again, the other niches like travel, retail were not nearly as high. Right. Right. Travel saw a 24% increase in rank volatility. Health saw an 84% increase. 24, right. 80% kind of far off from each other. Mm-hmm. Right. Keep going. You're looking keep at me going. like, yeah, keep it going, keep it going. <laughs> okay. So those other niches, the travel niche, the food and drink niche, the retail niche, they sort of caught up here. So while you had you know, the travel niche showing 24% increase in rank volatility during the June update, here it shot up to 65%. So you sort of have an, a, an equalization, that's a real word, of all the niches. Now, like before you had the health niches really high in rank volatility and the travel niche not so much. Here, now you have every niche is equally high. So basically, in other words, while you may have seen other niches outside of YMYL sites or YMYL niches, you know, around the 25, 35% level of volatility increases, you're seeing them generally between like 65, 75% here during the June increase, the June update. Meaning to say, the reason why the index, these rank weather tools spiked so much is because all of the niches across the board, unlike a core update, which is why I think it's not a core update, all of the niches across the board saw a crazy level of huge spikes in rank fluctuations across positions 5 through 10. Every single niche, travel, retail, uh, food and drink, home goods, whatever it is, saw massive levels of rank volatility increases once you hit position 5 on the SERP. Right, but you said it was a weird update. Why is that weird? You're weird. And you have a death wish. And that's very Freudian. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I really want to get to Mark, so I'm going to run through this very, very, very quickly, which is mm-hmm. against my nature. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here we go. Like a bat out of hell. Meatloaf. I don't know what I'm talking about. I have no idea. Let's go. So one, there was no, what makes this weird? No clear site level pattern at all. Everything was kind of all over the place. For example, right, traditionally during these core updates that we've seen over the past two years or so, or a year or so rather, uh, you have like these, like, these sites with like poor conflicting web um, profiles. Like for example, you have a health information site offering all sorts of healthy recipes, but really what they're doing is shoving like tons of links, CTAs, ba- banner ads, all trying to get you to buy their magic health powder. So they're not really a health information site. They're really a health commerce site and they're trying to fool you a little bit. Mm-hmm. So those sites got slammed during the core updates. And they every, every update, there's... Every core update is somehow related to these sites a little bit. They see a little bit of reversal. They get slammed again. See a little reversal. They get slammed again. Mm-hmm. Right, so you had some of those sites getting hit. But at the same time, you had some of those sites going up in the rankings, which I found was very weird altogether. But the, either way, there wasn't like a real pattern where you saw, wow, all these sites are getting hit. It didn't really pop out. Like when, you, when I looked at the Medic update or I looked at the June 2019 core update, you really saw a lot of those kind of like weird health sites really getting slammed. You saw a few here, but it didn't pop. It wasn't like, okay, that's a real discernible pattern that I can really pick up on. I know it's a bit anecdotal what I'm saying right now, mm-hmm. but that's what I got for you. It just didn't pop out. Okay. Yeah, so that made it a little bit weird or made it definitely not a core update. Uh, but what made it really, really weird for me was, so, okay, the update starts. 
Update starts on the 16th, July 16th. And to start, you have like, you know, moderate levels of rank fluctuation increases. And then on the 17th, you know, we hit red. There were high levels of rank fluctuation increases. And then on the 18th, when things went nuts, there were even <laughs> higher levels of rank fluctuation increases. And then nothing. Mm-hmm. And that's weird. Because normally when you have an update like this, a, you know, a massive update, it sort of tapers off a little bit. The rollout is it's the rollout peaks, right? You hit your high levels, and then you you know the rollout rolls down. So the next day you have moderate levels, and then you know even slightly less, you know, more moderate levels the next day, and then finally we're back to normal. Hmm. This one just cut off. That's it. There hits 113 in the rank risk index, crazy fluctuation. The next day, nothing. Like really low fluctuations. That's very very strange. Right. It's hard to really find a case like that. Also. Uh, two really odd site level patterns. One was okay, so the update um, saw. I'm trying to think. Okay, yeah, July first. Okay, you all of a sudden see a bunch of sites going up, very slow over the course of two weeks. You know, slow and steady ranking gains, and then comes the July 2019 unofficial unofficial not core update, mm-hmm. and then boom, all those rankings are gone. Uh, not every site, obviously. But it was enough sites that I looked at where, okay, this is definitely a pattern, mm. right? July 1st, these sites are going up very moderately, very slowly. It looks like it's a real slow and steady gain, a lasting gain. This is going to last. And then Google turns the switch, rolls out in the unconfirmed update of July 2019, and all those sites lose their rankings. The second really odd level, a uh, site level pattern that I saw was on the first two days of the update, there were a lot of sites, again, not every site, but enough where I can say, that's a pattern here. That's a, by the way, any update, whatever patterns we talk about, they're not the overall pattern for the update. They're like a theme within the update. Right, right. Okay. So a theme here within the update was were sites that were going up, that went up per the first and second day of the update's rollout. This update was three days long. The first day the site goes up, second day the site goes up a little more, and then the third day, boom, slam in the gutter. Mm-hmm. So these sites see a very, very quick reversal of fortunes. They have two days of nice, sharp, quick up ga- uh, gains, and then boom, they go right back down to a little before. Or not totally down, but mostly down, which is weird because an update does have reversals. But usually you'll see reversals in a week at another update, or a month from now, Google will roll out another update and reverse some of the things it did during the previous update. It's kind of weird to see so many sites go down the next day. As if to say, Google was saying, with both instances, with both increasing rank at July 1st through like you know July 14th or so, and then slamming those rankings, or the first two days going up and then turning the switch and taking away those rankings on the third day of the rollout, it's almost as if Google were saying, you know what, I don't think we're, we're so happy with what we're doing here. Let's let's change this around. I don't think these things are going so well. As if like I don't, I don't Google wasn't happy with something was going on in the algorithm. I wanted to make a change or. There's some kind of bug. I know, something just felt very weird and very off. Again, I know I'm being a little bit anecdotal or very bit anecdotal. Um, where I used to have a teacher who used to say, I forgot what grade it was. I mean, obviously, I had been in high school or something. He goes, not all speculation is bad speculation. So I know I'm speculating, but I've looked at a lot of updates. And I've looked at a lot of sites from a lot of updates. And there's something about this update that doesn't feel like it went the way Google wanted it to go. Oh, Morty, see how informative you can be when you stop quoting random movies? You mean The Shining, A Few Good Men, and Full Metal Jacket as being random movies? Those are classics. Listen, you say classics, I say old and random, tomato, tomato. No, tomato, tomato. I'm, so- <laughs> I'm, s- I'm sorry you have no taste in movies. 
What a horrible <laughs> life that must be for you. If you think The Shining is a random I, movie. I have, I have never heard of The Shining. Oh, boy. Like, well, I have no idea what you're talking as about. As I go through some of my favorite, and I'm speaking to disappear now, some of your favorite movies out there in the audience because they're classics, let's move on to one of my favorites from within the SEO industry. Nice segue. Really nice. Uh, yeah, right? Hey, there is not enough I can say about Mark Traphagen. I could gush over him for the next half hour, but I won't do that to you, our lovely audience. He did it to me. Uh, right. I, 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 I won't embarrass Mark either. So without further ado, here is Mark Traphagen to tell you what content means in the age of Google's discovery engine status. Cut one. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another In Search SEO podcast interview. Today, we are fortunate to have with us one of my favorites from the SEO community. You've seen him here, you've seen him there, you've seen him everywhere, and often in a nifty bow tie, by the way. He is the VP of Content Strategy over at AimClear. Put your hands together for Mark Traphagen. How are you? Hey, I am great, Morty. Always good to be with you. Always good to chat with you, and especially today with your audience, which I'm really thrilled about. I'm, I'm really thrilled that you're here. So I heard a, a, a rumor that you used to be a teacher. Is that true? Or did I get that totally wrong? Uh, my students might contest that, and their parents <laughs> might really protest it. But yes, it was true. I was I was a classroom teacher for uh, for over fifteen years. Oh wow, nice! So I used to be a teacher myself for three years, another lifetime. And my teach my my parents and my students would say the same thing about me. So we're, <laughs> we're in the same boat. So uh, do you feel like that? Uh, here I am already interviewing you, right? right. Do you feel like? <laughs> That had some good preparation for what you do now, because because I really do. Yeah, a hundred percent. I'm, I I like interweaving my educational background because I mean, what what I do is educate. I write. I, I do this podcast, and it's all about breaking down complex information so that it's accessible to people. Yes, feel yeah. exactly the same way. Yeah, I love it. Like, yeah, the classroom training and just having to be on every day now helps me with not only things like this, you know, doing this and speaking at conferences and and writing content. But also in uh, interacting with clients, everything I do, it's always an educational experience. So right. it was it was great experience, great background. Yeah, yeah. The, the teaching thing definitely. It, I've had some business experience in another in another lifetime before that lifetime, and that has nothing to do with SEO. But the educational background that I have, I, I feel it does, it's done wonders for me being able to to be who I am now. I I still view myself as a teacher primarily, which is weird. Yeah, I, I absolutely do as well. Totally identify. Yeah. Okay. So. Let's get into um, some of the implications of Google as a discovery engine. And um, okay, just to make sure we're on the same page, when we talk about Google as a discovery engine, I like to call Google as, a, as being a resource center. What does that mean? How does that differ from seeing um, Google as a, as a search engine, per se? Well, I think Google has been you know, changing along with its audience, obviously along with the technology that's available to them, and they're always trying to innovate on that. But I, I see them constantly trying to evolve search in terms of its, uh, of its usefulness. Uh, we've all heard that that quote where uh, I believe it was uh, I don't know which which of the founders uh, <laughs> said this, but the quote was something to, to the lines of uh, that the goal was to make Google eventually be the uh, like the Star Trek computer, you know, the classic Star Trek computer. Where you just you just ask something or say something into the air, and the information you need is right there, and it's in context, and the computer understands what you're asking for, what you need, what you see. the The evolution that we're seeing. Uh, more recently in Google is moving from just uh, maybe even beyond the Star Trek computer in some ways because it's moving from uh, just responding with the information that you're requesting at the moment, but to even trying to anticipate what you might want to know or what you might not know that you want to know but want to know. 
So, you know, actually pushing information into our streams and into their apps uh, and things like that and trying to anticipate what you might be interested in, what you might need next. Uh, of course, it's all integrating with their Google Assistant project where they're trying to be that, uh, that useful assistant in your life that uh, knows the patterns, knows the things that you do, the things that you need to do, uh, things you might need to do and be there ahead of time with the information you need to do that. Yeah, I think the idea of this integrating into the into the voice search realm has been a little bit understated. I think it's very much part of the the equation. I, I'm just I'm I'm okay with all this until the point that Google can replicate food like the Star Trek computer, and then I'd be really freaked <laughs> out. Um, yeah, because there there goes you know I'm fighting my waistline already. I don't need that. I don't need that much help. <laughs> that'd be, I never thought of that. That'd be great or terrible, right? <laughs> oh, God, if you get any food you want at any time, no, that'd be that amazing. Would be, wow, hey. the end of civilization <laughs> or the beginning of it. Yeah. Oh boy. Okay, so you know, I want to talk about Search of the Journey because you brought it up. Um, one of the I believe to be misconceptions about Search of the Journey is that back in I think it was October 2018. I always get my dates messed messed up. Uh, September, one of those points in fall 2018, where Google came out with Search of the Journey as an official concept. It sort of came out as if you know, okay, Google invented this concept. We're going to start doing this, and it's a Google initiative. Whereas I kind of look at it the opposite. Whereas over the years, Google's developed, as machine learning has developed, all these things have started to come to the forefront. The way users see search, the way users interact with search has totally changed. And to the point where Google noticed and said, you know what, users are, are now using search more as a, a way to discover, as a way to, as a pathway to more and more and more search enlightenment. And they said, okay, you know what, let's build tools, let's build up the system in order to, to acclimate to what the user or how the user is behaving. Because of that reality, or what I think to be the reality, do you think that the way we in the SEO industry see search as a journey may not actually align to how users relate to search? Well, I, I wouldn't want to speak for the whole SEO industry. I'm not asking. I'm sorry. In general, <laughs> yeah. Uh, person A, B, C, and D, could you speak to there? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't think the, the search as a journey thing was any great discovery or new, con new concept. I think I agree with you in that. Uh, I think we've always known that. I think Google's always known that. You know, they, they see the way that people use search. And we all remember, you know, back in the day when search was relatively unsophisticated compared to the way it is today, uh, where it was, you know, pretty much type in a keyword and you get, you know, the best uh, responses for that keyword. They would see people you know, in text in real time crafting their uh, queries. Like they would, they would know to do that. They'd put in a very generic term like Jaguar and Google would try its best to give them a set of results and said, no, a Jaguar guitar or Jaguar animal, you know. So that's sort of, that's on a very simplistic level, but they saw people crafting their searches. So I think that was step one to say, how can we, you know, as machine learning came along and rudimentary artificial intelligence, how can we uh, help users along with that, anticipate that ahead of time, uh, try to gather the right information, the context to, uh, get them quicker along that that journey to where they they want to go. So I think that's that's one aspect of it. Okay, so so with that, I want to get into I want to take that and go into content because you are a content orchestrator of a, a massive pieces of content. You are like the content man, basically. So if I can get your insight into some strategy, some content strategy based upon search of journey, you would make my life complete for the moment. Um, until I need a replicator for my Star Trek food. Anyway, um, <laughs> so the way I see the search of a journey impacting content is two ways. There's a way you can think about Google targeting intents could be one of two different options. One is Google can go broader, 
into more and more topics, the topic layer, that sort of thing, or Google can go deeper into content. So let me give you a terrible, terrible example. Let's say Google Janice Joplin. So Google can offer me insight or um, access to information about the, the 27 Club. For those of you who are not rock and roll aficionados, that would be Jim Morrison, Janice, jo uh, Janice Joplin, and Jimi Hendrix all died at the age of 27. And by the way, and the people also search for the first two people you see there are Jim Morrison and Jimi Hendrix. Google gets that. They, she, they know that Janis Joplin is part of that club. And you get all sorts of information about related artists and other people that she's maybe interacted with during her musical career. At the same time, Google goes deeper, right? It gives you quotes about um, what that, she, that she may have said. It goes into her life and all sorts of details that go deeper into who Janis Joplin was. So from a content strategy perspective, I could see you saying, you know what? It makes sense to go a little bit broader when I'm approaching a topic. I want to broadly, comprehensively target this topic. Or I could see you saying, you know what? If with Google targeting more and more intense, let me go deeper into the content or deeper into the topic. Which, how does it work? I mean, are you damned if you do, damned if you don't? If you go deep, you can't go broad. If you go broad, you can't go deep. How do you go about this? Well, let's start at the high concept level because we talk about uh, intent. There's also the intent of uh, Google and of us as business owners or content strategists, you know, wh whatever on that side of things, people who have a business goal. We, we have a common goal there, and that is to make our users or audience happy. Uh, but where we go with that is different, and we always need to have this in mind. So for Google, happiness is pretty much the end goal. Uh, it's not, I mean, the true end goal is to get you to click on ads so they make money. <laughs> but, but they do that by keeping you happy. So Google's uh, whole goal is not unlike that of Facebook or, or the social media networks, and that is uh, to create an experience where you are getting more and more things that you know keep you happy, keep you satisfied, keep you wanting to come back and look for more, uh, that you have a good experience. Because the more you do that, the more you'll come back, the more you're exposed to their ads, and the more money they make. And that's, you know, at a very simplistic level, that's the end of them. And by the way, for them, that's why this whole journey discovery thing is so important, because it's a new avenue for that. In the old days, it was just simply you know, did we satisfy your search request so that you'll come back tomorrow and do another search with us for something else? Now the discovery journey thing is taking that to a deeper level and saying like, can we keep you on the network? You know, sounds very much like Facebook, isn't it? Like, <laughs> can we actually create experiences where you want to hang out on Google, right. uh, not just for like, I need to find, you know, a, a new uh, low energy light bulb, but you know, Oh, you know, I, I see this, I see that kind of the YouTube kind of experience, you know. And, uh, oh, here's another thing I might be interested in. So that's their that's their simple goal. For us as business owners, however, we have that same high-level goal. We want happy users who like us, who, uh, who you know, will want to see our brand in their search and come back to us who want to see our content. But ultimately, we have a much more specific goal, and that's to get them interested in our product or service and, and to become customers. So I think at one level, the answer to that is different. If you were Google, then you can be as broad as you want because you're, you know, you're, just, you're just out there searching for anything that will make the user happy and keep them coming back. And if they're doing that, you've done your job. As a business runner with business concerns, you can't just do that. And I think too many make the mistake of doing that, they're ch in, whether it's in social media or in content. They're just chasing after that engagement, chasing after that you know, keep them interested, keep them on the hook, but they're not always linking up to the business goal. 
So I think the trick is you've got to be more specific. You've got to be more settled in like, we're going for this particular journey because we want to take them from the broad, the general interest, the familiarity with our brand, uh, a certain amount of affinity and liking for us, narrowing them down into, okay, this is where we connect with you. This is where our products or services meet specific needs in your life and can you know create something for you. Wow. Okay. Uh, so many jump points I want to jump on there. Um, you know, first off, the idea of looking at your your content strategy from that perspective. Where do you think that starts? That start off with brand identity, product identity, service identity. There's we often view at least in the SEO world. Within the SEO world, you're going to view content from the an SEO perspective. But to talk about where you are going with the content that you just mentioned. Where do you think that starts from? How does that, it's obviously not from a search perspective. Your content strategy goes way beyond search. Mm-hmm. So I just want, if you could speak to where does that original originate? Does it originate in brand identity? Does it originate in where, how you see your product, how you see your service or the pain points you're trying to target with your, with your audience, that sort of thing? Where do you begin to create that strategy? Well, the, uh, uh, the ter- meta question the terrible- on one foot, sorry. <laughs> the terrible, the terrible but true answer to that is you have to begin at all levels, uh, which is, which is a terrible answer because it's impossible to do, um, you know, unless you've got some ginormous staff and unlimited budget. Right. But, uh, but you've got to have that in mind from the beginning that you're creating things at all different levels because the truth is people find you and come into you and enter you for the first time at all different levels. So, you know, we like to think of it in terms of this simple funnel where we're, we're building out there in the one level of the, the brand identity, uh, brand affinity kind of content, the, you know, the big stuff that, that uh, connects with you, that makes a user stop in their feed and say, you know, oh, I want to see that, I want to read that, I want to view that. And, you know, and then uh, when they see you again, they're going to want to see more and, you know, you help them in some way. There's that level, but depending on what you do, in most cases, a lot of users are going to come in at all different levels. They're going to come in, they're looking for, they're searching for a very specific thing, a very specific need or product. So in your content strategy, right from the beginning, you've got to be thinking at all those, those different levels um, of the traditional funnel uh, because any of them can be entry points right. and you've got to have your best foot forward when people come in that way. Okay, so let me jump on the other thing that you said that Google is a Google search is like a YouTube sort of experience, and I very, very, very much agree with that. I find it myself doing that, right? If I if I search for a score, like a sports score, and then this player shows up, and then that thing shows up, I'm I'm stuck there for an hour, and I'm supposed to be working. Oh, my boss isn't listening. <laughs> it's all Google. I'm doing work. No, okay. Um, yeah. it's research. It's research. Right, research. Research. Right. Okay. And I'm, I'm using it on the podcast now, so it's all good. Anyway, based on, on knowing that and realizing that, can you offer some insight into how your content strategy may or may not have changed over the, you know, the past year or so because of that? Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing is thinking about, uh, there's, there's several things, but just going off of what I just said, is thinking about all levels of content as potential entry points. Because the, the way that search works now, people could come into you at any of those points. So... You know, you have to view them as everything is a first impression. Um, your product page is the first impression. Um, and, you know, in the past year or two, we've been doing a lot of work with helping e-commerce brands to make their product pages more interesting, partly because of just the, you know, the basic SEO concern of thin content and too many product pages are, are thin content and don't stand out enough. Uh, but just from a user standpoint, you know, that's somebody arriving at you for the first time 
what's the experience they're having on that page at that moment? This bridges over to something that I've been talking about a lot now uh, and just thinking about a lot. I call it the, the content mindset. Uh, and I'm, I'm preaching this everywhere I can now because I really believe it. I think that there's something about when you're, when you're a content marketer, when that's your focus, like as, as with me, you begin to see that content teaches you things about every aspect of marketing. And I don't mean to say I'm not trying to be like, you know, content is everything, you know, because <laughs> because you know, SEO says like, no, SEO is everything and, you know, social media is everything. But rather than, uh, or even that content is the most important thing, but rather that understanding what content is, how it works, how it functions with your audience at every level gives you insights into how you do all of your marketing. So, uh, and then coming into every aspect of your marketing with that content mindset. So there's a specific example is seeing a product page as primarily a piece of content for the user, not just, you know, a, a product description with a buy now button. Right, right. And that's, that's, a, that's a very good point. I mean, I, I, I wonder if the, the way, I, separate point, and, and if I'm, if I'm, you know, if I'm going on a tangent, I apologize. One of the, one of the, one of the things I see on e-commerce sites, or even, um, I know some of the YMYL sites with the, you know, the health niche also, is, is that the, the UI is so unappealing from a user perspective. It's so concerned with buying and purchasing and not from educating, or just, we talk about teaching, about educating and informing about what this product is, what the service is, as opposed to just trying to get me to buy. Okay, separate point, okay? With what you just said, and, and with and thinking as a content creator, how do you consider this search journey? In other words, how are you possibly going to get into someone's head to such an extent when you can anticipate what that journey may look like for multiple users? And it's enough to make your, your, you know, to go mad a little bit. It's almost like chaos. Yeah, well, it's a continuous, it's a continuous project, and I don't think you can do it all at once. Right. But you have to be revisiting it all the time. But I think the the, the big concept, and you know, credit where it's due, like I learned this from my my former boss Eric Enga of Stone Temple. Sure. This this concept of you know of on any page on your site that a user might arrive at, then beginning to think from that page, satisfying all the possible needs that user might have from that. Right. And there's some evidence that Google's beginning to look at pages this way. So they arrive at a product page, to use our example like that, they're looking for a specific thing, you know, um, low energy light bulbs, and they, they ran on your page for one thing. Well, when I get to a page like that, I may not know, I may, I may have heard, you know, maybe I hear in a podcast, something like that, you know, you should be using low energy light bulbs, and you think, I don't know anything about that. How do they work? Can I put them in the same sockets? You know, I've got a thousand questions. Now, you don't try to answer all of those on that page because it becomes too cumbersome. But here's the here's the more question. This is this bridges from content to site design and navigation. Is it easy to get to? Is it intuitive to get to the information that you need? Uh, and, and that's not just more information about you know, low energy light bulbs and energy saving in your home and why you should be doing that and how it works, but also uh, just basic things like, you know, if I'm the first time coming in, is is it obvious? Like, where do I find out about shipping? Where do I find out about your return policy? You know, what's your privacy policy? There's really good evidence growing that Google's looking at these kind of things for a kind of completion of what a user might need. 
so you know thinking from the uh, as content marketers as web designers as SEOs you know it's, it's always uh, the, the Google spokespeople are saying this and we get tired of it and we make fun of them for it but there's such truth <laughs> to it of you know thinking from your users point of view and what are the things that they might need or need to know when they land on a page on your site yeah, I also agree with you that Google's getting a little bit more holistic, if you want to call it, or profiling what a page, um, how it looks, how it functions, how it serves its users' um, end goal. One of the, it is an interesting point, one of the ways I think about link building is, as again, from an educational background, as a way of on, offering ancillary content, of building a greater understanding by by linking to whatever site. The same thing internally. I was speaking to, um, it was uh, documentation creators. Um, you know, technical documentation creators. I was saying to them, you have a huge opportunity because a lot of the how-to queries that Google is going to show a feature snippet for are right up your alley. And I said to them, but one of the things that you guys often don't consider that I think you might want to consider is, is that when, when you create a piece of documentation, someone may have landed there accidentally. I don't mean accidentally. I mean to say that they may not be looking for what they what you wrote. They may be looking for something else and thought, okay, this looks applicable and it's not. The the, the example I gave was um, a Samsung phone, right? So you might, you might have a whole piece of documentation on how to change the settings. They may not want to change the settings. They might want to learn how to do X, Y, and Z. So on that documentation page, is it easy for them to find other information and use your internal link scheme not as a way to highlight this blog post that I wrote or highlight this product that I also have, but as a way to build understanding with your users? Exactly. I mean, I've had that happen recently where you know, I land on a page, Google is trying its best to send me, it sends me to the page. It's not really what I was looking for and about to go away. And then I see, oh, wait a minute, there's, you know, there's a link right there. Or there's, there's information right there on, on what I was actually looking for. Right. This is super helpful. So, yeah. you know, so I stay instead of leaving. It's a, it's a big part of not bouncing, I think. Yeah. Do you find that content creators are starting to get a little bit befuddled trying to deal with this search as a journey concept? Are they, are they a little bit all over the place in how they're dealing with it? Are they... Do you find, I mean, there's definitely a risk that if you're trying to cater to multiple intents and multiple journeys that you get a little bit unfocused. Do you see that happening or is people not tuned in enough to, to realize? Yeah, it, it, it's often, yes, in working with clients, it's often uh, comes down to a matter of resources. Uh, you can only do so much. It's not so much that they don't understand or that they won't accept it if we, you know, it's a simple education process to talk about this uh, journey, discovery kind of thing and talk about things like what Google calls uh, micro moments, which are the, you know, their, their discovery and their research that, um, that it's, you know, it's no longer a case if it ever was, uh, that people just move, you know, step one, step two, step three through a funnel, but that typically, uh, in the stage between when they first become aware of a need for something and where they actually buy, there are these micro moments where they are doing in all different kinds of venues, getting little pieces of information and gathering things that will influence their eventual purchase. And Google's emphasis is like, you know, you should be there in all those moments. Well, that's, it's a great aspiration, but it comes down to that. So down to uh, resources and the ability to, to produce all that. So part of a large part of my job when I'm working with clients is helping them to prioritize, you know, yeah, our goal, our, our aspirational goal is to have it all, you know, is to be everything to everybody, like be the best possible source of information and help that leads people to these buying decisions. But we're not gonna do that upfront, we just can't. So where's the priorities? What's the most important information to build out first? And then you just keep adding to it and, and keep building over time. It's, you've gotta have that, you know, that patience. And if we've been in the SEO world, 
we should have learned that because that's <laughs> that was the game there, right? You know, you build, you make, you make a few fixes, and then you hope and wait, and you watch for like four or five months, and say, right, like, right, okay, yeah, it's starting <laughs> to go up now. That that worked, you know. <laughs> it's it's a great point. I mean, sitting on this end of the microphone, I often forget these sort of things. But yeah, like if if there's more intense being targeted, and Google is getting more diverse in what it's trying to show, and it's more avenues of content, all these sort of things, it it does mean like you need to prioritize your resources in all new ways. I, it, thank you for for enlightening me about that because it's a point that I don't think gets discussed enough. Yeah, it's really job one for us. You know, if you are in charge of of content or search strategy for a company, or you're a consultant helping people with that. I think it's a huge part of your job. It's easy to forget is that because we like as a consultant, you know, we tend to like we'll, we'll throw out to a client like all the ideas. You know, here's all the things <laughs> you should be doing, and they look at the list and they say, ah, you know, it's I don't have budget, I don't have people. Uh, so you know, you can't just throw a big list at people. You need to let them know, like, yeah, you should be doing all these things eventually. But okay, we're we're real right. with you. You know, we know we got to take this one step at a time. So. Help them prioritize. Help them say, like, here's the big ones. Here's the big fish. We should catch these first, get those, and then we can just keep moving down the list and building out more and more of the detail that, that's going to make it really extraordinary down the road. So basically content has turned into an overwhelmingly enterprise um, procedure that you have to be patient with, more so than ever. Let me let me ask you about this because I, I feel like we get stuck into a trap of speaking about search of the journey from a topical perspective. I mean, I fall into the trap myself. I'm Most of the questions here have been focused about you know, getting into more topics or topic deeper and what, what, all these sort of things. But one of the things I think we often forget about as content creators, you always have a great piece about this, I think, is tone and how we write for a user. For example, my mother-in-law has a dog, a poodle, right? So one type of user, my mother-in-law, is just a lot of just big sense of humor, lively personality. The content you write for her is not going to be the same sort of content about poodles that someone who's a little bit more stuck about their poodle might might tend to enjoy or might tend to read when you when you consider tone and, and you consider the user and how they would experience different tones how does that sort of you know tie into um, user intent and where the user will ultimately go on their search journey based upon two different user profiles for two different types of people who enjoy two different types of, of tones yeah that's a great question because i think it's something that you you've got to make a very conscious decision about and you got to decide uh you know, from your standpoint, like what it, what is your tone going to be and be consistent with it? Because it does not work to try to be all things to all people in that. Right, 100%. Uh, people will see that and will, you know, be confused by it or feel you're disingenuous, uh, you know, have to be happy with one post and be or piece of content and, and be offended by the next. So <laughs> you, you've got to make a, make a choice and make a stand in that. And I think it's an important thing to do. I, I, I've talked a lot in the past about the, these this concept I have of, uh, it's like two islands, and we've got to build a bridge between them. There's the brand island, and then there's the prospect island. And you know, each has its own wants, needs, and desires. And the, con the constant job of the marketer in general, but particularly of the content marketer, is to, is to build that bridge. So the brands that I see being the most successful with their, their content is where you know, they've been bold. And they've made a decision like, this is the kind of user we want to connect with. We believe this is who will best connect with our brand. And this is the tone they're looking for. So, you know, using your example, you know, one pet oriented or dog oriented company might decide like, we're going to connect best with the people who are like their pets or their dogs are serious. You know, maybe they, maybe they have show dogs or something like right. that. Like this is serious business. It's money to them. <laughs> it's, you know, 
uh, or they're just like so into it that you can't joke around about it. So that's our, that's going to be our tone. Another might decide like, you know, we're just the people just, you know, they just love dogs and they just like, <laughs> you know, um, they love, you know, it's just all fun for them. And it's about the lifestyle and, and you know, what that means and the emotions and things like that. So we're going to go for that. Um, but, we, you know, I see the brands that make a clear choice and they they stick with it. Um, they're going to connect with the people who are going to get the best benefit from from their brand. Do you do you think let me ask you a, a more Google question about tone then? And it's hard to I know it's hard to say because Google hasn't really said so much around this. But to what extent do you believe that Google can or cannot understand tone from the, the larger syntax within a piece of content? Well, I don't know. Right? No, I, um, I know. No there's one. A, knows. There's a there's a confidence building answer right at this point. <laughs> but not all bad. No, not all speculation is bad. Yeah, but I think I want to start this with a caution. Okay. Uh, because I think we have a tendency, and I see this a lot in in our world, in the the, the SEO world, the search world in general those of us who talk about and watch Google all the time, there can be this, we see Google doing amazing things, right? We do see Google like innovating all the time and getting better at, you know, user intent and all these sorts of things. And we, it tends to make us think, and we also read about, you know, Google being one of the wealthiest companies in the world. And so we kind of tend to think that Google has unlimited resources right. and they can just do anything. And they probably are doing anything that they can do. But the reality is if you talk with Google engineers, uh, or you just watch Google all the time, you realize they can do a lot more than you or I can do, but they're still limited and they still make choices. We've been talking a lot throughout this whole episode about making choices, making priorities, making decisions. Google does that too. Google engineers do that. Google management does that. And they, they aren't, there's a lot of things that they might be able to do that they'd like to do that they can't, especially in things like this. So I think there's an assumption that oh they're probably you know <laughs> probably doing that on a thing like tone my guess is that that's got to be on their radar uh it's got to be something that they aspire to i'm not assuming that they have that down yet or even have done anything with it maybe at a rudimentary level you know there's certain certainly some evidence that you know they how they look at things semantically and you know, they, they may they may be doing some things like that. The one thing we do know about Google is they're continuously experimenting. And I know, you know, those of us that watch search closely and watch search results, um, we can be very quick to pick out, and we often do, where Google makes mistakes. Right. And, you know, like a horrible piece of uh, you know, suggested content. Like It's a pastime for some. Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> but, you know. See, like I noticed, like for uh, even though I'm not yet an entity to Google, like I don't, ha uh, and that's actually a definable thing. Be another whole podcast, but like there's a database where you can go and find out. Like I mean, Google has some idea of who I am, but I'm not a. I don't have a numeric ID as an entity, so I don't have a knowledge box for me yet. Things like that, but they know enough about me, and my name is unique enough. When you search it, you started getting a while ago this uh, carousel at the bottom of you know uh, I forget what the exact heading of it was, but you know, SEO experts or something like that. Right, right. And, it, you know, a lot of it was the usual cast of characters that you'd expect to see. But there were some weird names in there, people who weren't <laughs> SEOs at all. And in one case where, I, I wish I could remember the particular example, but like it, it was the name of somebody who actually is a, a well-known SEO, but it's also the name of a historical figure from like the 16th oh, century nice. or something. And so the, <laughs> right. the image was that historical <laughs> figure. Like, wow, he was really ahead of his time. So we see examples Again, of that, like, yeah. you know, but Google is not afraid to do that in public. Like they, right. that's how they that's learn. That's a good point, so, right. Yeah. 
So here, my advice for anything like this is rather than spend time speculating about, is that a ranking factor right now <laughs> uh, or something or something Google's actually measuring is to assume if it's good for the user, if it works for the user, it's eventually going to be important for right. search. Right. Because that big goal we talked about at the beginning, Google wants its users to be happy. And they don't want ultimately that serious poodle person to arrive at a, you know, happy go lucky, fun, you know, poodles are cute page, even if that page has good information on it that they might be looking. So that would be my speculation. It's on the radar. You should be doing it anyway. Right, exactly. You know, you should be thinking about tone. So it's, you know, if they ever are right. really measuring it or looking at it, like, if you've done it right, you're all set. Wait, what are you going to do? Not worry about Tome because Google is not an official Google ranking factor? Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, wait, whatever. Worst case scenario is you're ahead of the game a little bit. It's okay, too. Right, right. right. Yeah. I know John Mueller says this all the time. And again, people make fun of him, get tired of it because it just sounds like a generic thing to say. But it's really true. He said, like, you know, do do what's right for your user and you'll, you know, we'll, we'll catch up with you. <laughs> right. <laughs> he doesn't say it doesn't say it that way, but I think that's basically the message is like, if we're not doing it now, like do it because it's good for the user. And if it's good for the user, it will be good for Google at some point. It, it sounded nice. Okay. So, so I have this little bit that I do at the end of each show and I call it optimize or disavow. For those of you who listen to the show regularly, it's where I give you two options and either two really good options and you're stuck choosing between one good option over another good option or two really bad options and you're stuck choosing one terrible option over another terrible option. And of course, that's awkward and uncomfortable. So with that, let's play the Mark Traphagen version of optimize it or disavow it. If you can choose, or if you had to choose, and you, you can only do one or the other, it's, zero, it's a zero-sum world, you can either target a very small, refined group of users with some really, really awesome content, or you can go after a big old chunk of users with some content that you might describe as, meh, it's okay, it's not terrible, it's not great. If you could do one or the other one, do you target that big group of users, or do you target that smaller group of users with the better content? Okay, so I get to swipe right or swipe left here. Right. Uh, I mean, you can say it depends. You can go that way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's, you know, that's yeah. always a classic yeah. way to go. Because, of course, it, it always does. Right. That's but true. So, so I won't, I won't, uh, I won't cheap out with that. Even <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate true. that. Um, and you know, yeah, and, and realizing that it's never a zero sum game because, right. uh, you well, know, but I not holding you to this. Just I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it from the try to keep it as real as possible. I'm gonna do it from like that standpoint we we're talking about before. It's like you have, you don't have unlimited resources you can't do it all at once so where do you start you know where, where do you do it right now and if that's the choice then i'm going to go with the with the niche i'm going to go with the uh like doing the best possible thing you can for small segments that you're that you're hyper targeting and doing like better than anybody else i think that's where the, the best wins are now because there's so much competition out there in the content like just Trying to do the scatter shot and just you know cover the bases, trying to hit everybody, you're not you're not going to stand out. You're not going to hit anybody at all. Google's not going to care. Your users aren't going to care. So find those people that you can connect with who are going to care and win and build from there. I think that's I think that's the starting point. As a content creator, I love that because at least you could put something you know valuable, worthwhile, part of yourself into content like that as opposed to just targeting the general yeah. fray. So awesome. Thank you, Mark. I really appreciate that. 
Thanks for coming on. Absolutely. Can I can I add one quick thing to that? Absolutely. Yeah. I think you can find some big wins in that 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 do get you more of a scattershot approach. You know, we we've seen that in the past where you know, we've concentrated on, on something very, very specific, built out maybe an anchor piece of content that was just really awesome, you know, had some great original data or something that, you know, had a hook to it that people are going to talk about, that media was going to pick up, things like that. When you do that, you get Google's attention for that. Now, if you start building out, you know, all kinds of general content that are related to that same area and you interlink it on your site, uh, you can start to reach a much broader audience and a much broader uh spectrum of queries and intents so that it can lead to doing a really really good job with a hyper specific piece of content that's that's just awesome that's like nothing else out there uh seems like that's a ton of investment for a very small group to begin with but on the seo standpoint it can lead to much bigger gains right that's road. true i mean it all depends yeah. so many things you'd be doing with your content you want to you want to have someone to buy something with your, your content do you want to build authority with your content and of course, it all depends yeah. on that, which is why Absolutely. if it depends, the game's not so much fun. But yeah, the truth is, <laughs> the truth is Mark is right. It all, it all depends. Play the game, it depends. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Mark, thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming on, taking the time. Morty, thank you for having me. Great questions. Great conversation. Uh, I, I love this. And I'm always learning as I'm talking. So I have the opportunity here. to talk about what I love. That's my favorite part of doing the podcast is I get to learn from so many experts all the time. Thanks again. Thank you. And we are back to your regularly scheduled in-search SEO podcast. Loved it. Every second. It was so enjoyable. I, um, okay. So he's very clear, very amazing, very awesome. You, you should follow him on Twitter. He puts out tons of articles, tons of content. So definitely do that. Uh, we'll definitely link to his Twitter handle in the, the blog post for the podcast. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But you know what this means, by the way. Every time we have a nice guest that comes onto our show and offers us with some really informative insights, it means Rank Rangers SEO Community Question of the Week. Okay, Are you ready? yeah, I am ready. Okay, so we got a great question for you this week. Sapir, tell the good folks what they've won. How has search as a journey changed your content strategy? Right, so Google is now, this discovery engine is trying to send users to all new areas of exploration and all new ways and all new methods and all new levels of depth and understanding on the SERP. That's got to have changed your content strategy. How has it changed it? What tips do you have? Share, 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 share so we can share your name on the next episode of the In Search SEO Podcast. By the way, last week, let's do last week's question. So last week we talked about CRO and we asked, how do you get a good qualitative data? Uh, I'm sorry, a good sense qualitatively of what's preventing conversions or what's helping conversions on your site? And Chris Berkholm, B-I-R-K-H-O-M, L M on LinkedIn, find him there. Um, he said, well, he offered a whole slew of advice for you. I'll just pick out a, a, a little inty binty tidbit for you. And um, what he said was that a lot of the times we as digital marketers, whether it be our site, not our site, let's say we have a client, right? And they send you a site. So we as digital marketers understand how um, how to interact with sites, how to, you know, what, what um, we have a much, I call it greater sense of, of digital um, comfort than maybe other people do. And that could be a problem. What you might take um, for granted, seeing a site, interacting with a site, the overall user experience might not be suitable for someone who doesn't have that sort of technology familiarity. So just keep that in mind because you may be an objective observer of a third-party website, of a client's website, but are you really objective if you're so technology-in-tuned? You, as a digital marketer, know, think about um, 
you know, deal with all these things every single day. You take certain things for, for granted. So just, you know, approach it with a real set of fresh eyes. Good point. Good point. Good point. Okay. Uh, we got to keep moving. We got to keep going. We have a lot of information for you from the wide world of the news in SEO. Tons of bugs this week, yeah? Mm-hmm. Boy. Boy, we love our bugs. I don't know about that. Like, <laughs> boy, happy sup here. Please take it away with the news. <laughs> Google is running a new knowledge panel for scholars. Scholarly authors now get a panel that is based off their Google Scholars metrics, if you will. As such, you will see their number of citations and so forth. Elementary, my dear Watson. Elementary. I, I love it. Yeah, it's great. Uh, more, <laughs> more knowledge. I have, four, I have four million citations. I am the number one scholar. No. No, mm-hmm. I don't. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. Are you ready for some bugs? Okay, more bugs resolved. Google says the bug that made Google reviews disappear is fixed. For real this time. It also turns out that the bug that had local listings removed was in fact due to the short names. Really? Because Google said no. That's so odd. Mm-hmm. Oh, look at that. Okay, also, also. The, <laughs> the bug that prevented business owners from answering questions in the local panel's Q&A feature is fixed. That's good. Woohoo. Uh, also... <laughs> There was a bug that prevented the results from fully loading. Right, that's great. You couldn't get your full results. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Also, also, there was a bug that gave some news publishers a hard time getting new content indexed. Ooh, that happened a little Ooh. while ago also. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I, I will just say this, by the way. Been seeing a lot of new entity understanding expansion on the SERP. Google's getting better at understanding entities. I have two blog posts coming out about that. So look for those on the Rank Ranger blog. Great stuff. Coming out shortly at some point. I don't know when. I have to look at my calendar. Don't remember. <laughs> um, but I mentioned a few weeks back, okay? The more you see Google change and evolve and the new levels means there's something that's changing in the underbelly of Google, the more bugs you're going to see, I think. Right. Right. Okay. Okay, that's all for bugs. Let's move on. That's it? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. You want more? Sure. <laughs> okay. A Merkel study uh, shows that Google's ad growth has slowed thanks to Microsoft's partnership with Verizon. As a result, Microsoft's shopping ads grew 54% in quarter two. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Can I say it again? Okay. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, there was another study that came out that showed that um, clicks, uh, Google's ads, you know, paid search ad clicks have gone up which kind of makes sense since they rolled out that change to the mobile SERP where now the ad label is colorless. So they look very much like organic results. So I guess that's worked out for Google. <laughs> right. Carry on. Cheerio. Okay, thank you. Sure. So I said to say <laughs> Okay, the feature that allows you to sweep an article up from an image search result is live. The feature applies only to AMP pages since Google uses its page uh, catching as the basis for the feature. It also looks like Search Console is going to be getting some data related to uh, page views from this specific feature. Right, it's kind of cool. So you go to image search, mm-hmm. right? You see an image, you click on it, and if that, that image is related or is tied to or exists on an AMP page, you just kind of scroll your finger up and that page appears. Right. So that's cool. Pretty cool. It's one of the things they announced, I think, at Google I.O. 2019. So it's live. Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much for the news. You're welcome. Very informative. Very buggy. Mm-hmm. Kind of like my salad. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> That's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> 
Alrighty then. And now for the lighter side of SEO, because that wasn't light enough for you. Right. Um, okay. So in all the news of Google's bugs have got you bummed out, this is sure to put a smile on your face. I mean, half of the bugs were resolved, right? Some so that's weren't. something. Some of them weren't. Okay. It's a progress, yeah. though. It's, pro it's time for the fun. <laughs> it's time for fun. It is it's, time for fun. It's time for the fun SEO send-off question. <laughs> you ready? I, yeah. Okay. <laughs> if Google invited you to a wedding. No, scratch, reverse. If you invited Google to a wedding. By the way, scratch, reverse from Willy Wonka. Another pop culture reference. <laughs> If Google... Uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah, fully Wonka. Um, if, <laughs> let's get... Stay on target. Okay. Yeah, stay on target. <laughs> if you invited Google to a wedding, what kind of gift would Google bring you? Morty, your questions are get, just getting weirder and weirder. This was your suggestion. <laughs> I just... I did use... It you, wasn't mine. It was somebody else. Okay, but I didn't know that. Office. I didn't know that. <laughs> We okay, let me a while answer. No, 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 I'm going to harp on this because a while ago, yeah, we should do this question about weddings and gifts. I'm like, okay, and now you're giving me a hard time. How quickly we forget. How quickly we forget. <laughs> right. You know what? You're in charge next week of the question. I'll, I'll, and I'll pick on you. Oh, oh no. boy, these questions are so crazy. No. That's the whole point. Okay, forget it. On oh, yeah. targets up here. Stay okay, on okay. target. I let me, okay, let me answer the question. Let's remind them of the question because I think we've forgotten all the banter. Okay. If Google came to a wedding, they were invited to, you invited Google to your wedding, what gift would Google bring you? Well, obviously, Google would know what you want and just give it to you. And if anyone from Google is listening, I am not married yet, but a villa would be nice. Thank you. Google is listening. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's <laughs> I agree. On actually. Our phones, <laughs> on the Google Home on, over here, it's everywhere. So yeah, a villa. A villa? villa. Yeah. Okay. Anywhere like Spain. Spain. Costa Rica. Uh, sure. Why not? <laughs> Wyoming. <laughs> Wyoming. <laughs> no. What, 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 are you kissing on the great state of Wyoming? For real? God forbid. All of our listeners in Wyoming are now like, oh, I'm not listening to this. Stay with us. I love Wyoming. She doesn't, but I love Wyoming. Stay with us. Okay. What would I give? What would I give? What would Google give me for my you, wedding? You're already married. So. I know. But you know, I can renew my vows, right? I can get more <laughs> gifts. Yeah. Right. Okay. So I think, I think weddings to Google are like lyrics. You go, you eat, you drink, and you give nothing back in return. Wow. Oh, that's a low blow. Wow. <laughs> low blow, Morty. <laughs> who, did them, you, who, did, who did you take a jab there? Them, you know? Them's fighting words <laughs> right there. Or Google would just bring me a blunder. Blunder is good. Yeah, but, it's, uh, but, but the kicker would be Google ordered from Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> because they couldn't find a cheaper deal on a shopping partner oh another jab at google and that'll do it for us yeah 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 okay don't forget to tune in again next week for an all new in search seo podcast coming out on tuesday thank you for joining us we appreciate your listening thank you thank you until next time oh i forgot it's in search because we're all in search for something and now we can say goodbye bye <laughs>